You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 381, oh, the Spice Girls are back together again. The bloke who swam around Britain, why didn't he just buy a boat? And website nostalgia. It's all coming up after XTC and 10 feet tall. Songwriter, singer and bass player Colin Moulding now playing a few select dates with his former band colleague Terry Chambers. Uh, That was a track from the album Drums and Wires, released as a single in the US from 1979, XTC and 10 feet tall. 
I was a fan of the XTC. I am I am wildly pro at all times. And actually, <laughs> so Andy Partridge mm. was got it when Blur were going through their kind of anus horribilis in the sort of ninety two, <laughs> ninety three, when they were trying to record Modern Life's Not Rubbish, and uh, they decided they wanted Andy Partridge to produce them. Mm. And I think it might have been at the height of Andy Partridge's mm. kind of difficulties with dealing with the world. And he did about two songs with them, and that they ended up being they they couldn't work with them, and they were rejected. And those versions have resurfaced on YouTube. I'd, I'd never heard them. I read the uh, Stuart McConey's brilliant book about Blur that's called something like three, it's either 3,682 days or 3,862 days I can't remember which way round it is but it was released off the back of 13 and um, it's a really good book and it talks about it talked about the fact they had these kind of lost sessions with Andy Partridge and thanks to the crazy world of YouTube you can now get everything ever and the two songs that he did are up and they're really good mm. I'm really sorry they couldn't mm. work with him it's like Bernard Butler producing the Libertines and they fell out they sounded really good uh, um, Todd Rundgren, who produced an album for XTC mm. in the middle of the career, would also concur with your words there about the lovely though he may be, the difficulties of working with Andy what is Partridge. That, well, there are people that we like and there are people that we can work with, and they're not always the same people, unfortunately. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 381. I'm Terence Stackham, and now, now just stand by for oh, I man. think okay. I think it's going to be my smarmiest intro ever. Oh, God, and and right, there's, okay. there's competition for that. I was uh, going to say yeah. I'm already alarmed by yeah. the fact that that is that is topping the tree. Okay, here we go. Well, when she appears on the podcast, we all feel ten feet tall. Hey! It's Juliet Harris. Oh, hello. Thank you very much indeed. And I do actually feel quite cheery because I'm wearing a new shirt for this podcast, oh, a new polo you. shirt, um, the uh, get-up of the New York Cosmos when uh, when Pelé used to play oh, for them in wonderful. the 1970s. I bought one that's a T-shirt with Pelé 10 on the back, which I look forward to wearing to my local supermarket. And uh, I'm also wearing a, a fetching New York Cosmos um, sort of uh, umbro sort of repro polo thing. So, so yes, I do feel like I am a New York Cosmo this week. Oh, I, I, I like the sound of that. I think. Could you do a little snap later? I'll, I'll do. I'll do a selfie later oh, okay, on. Yeah, I'll do a shirt selfie. So, uh, so yeah. There's no doubt about the big story of the week. Oh yes, I know all about your midterm elections and your President <laughs> Trump. But surely, and your, and your Brexit and your uh, and your backstop to the backstop. All of those. Surely, the major event of the year, never mind week maybe exaggerating a little here, is the return of the Spice Girls. Now, mm. it was announced that Victoria Beckham won't be joining them, and I suspect they are keeping the news that instead of appearing as the remaining four, they may have a secret new fifth member uh, lined up. I'm going to ask the question that several media outlets have so far failed to pose. I'm going to be direct here. Juliet, are you going to be the new fifth member of the Spice Girls? Well, it is. It, we can use this podcast to once again unveil a world exclusive yes. that I will not be the oh. fifth member of the Spice Girls. I am so sorry. Um, although it, it's only because my my um, my initial doesn't rhyme with free. Because in the in their seminal debut mm. single "Wannabe," um, there's uh, Mel B's occasionally regrettable rapping uh, spells out or introduces the band to you helpfully near the end. And uh, Victoria is is um, introduced with the immortal line, "Easy V doesn't come for free," and oh. unfortunately J doesn't rhyme with free. So no, but you uh, so... see, I had an, I had a couple of nicknames for you that would have overcome that because right, okay. uh, she was posh spice, right? Mm, she I, was. I, I I got a couple. Of... I don't I don't think lower lower middle class spice quite has the same ring really in indie spice that's that's all right but then wasn't that mel c she had sort of oh. ambitions all right well, all right how about this one 
lefty spice. Ah, excellent. Although, having said that, Mel C also oh. pulling that. Well, you might remember the, 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 a memorable interview with The Spectator where most of them um, came out as, as Tories and Jerry Halliwell described Margaret Thatcher as the original Spice Girl. Oh, God. And Mel C was interviewed by someone else a while afterwards and she actually expressed anger that they'd all been tarred with the same Tory brush. <laughs> and she actually said, you know, I hate Margaret Thatcher for what she did to my hometown of Liverpool. Um, so, mm. so, yeah, no, I'm not... So she's not in that. So she's also so I think lefty spice. Although being to the left of Margaret Thatcher, I would argue doesn't necessarily make you left wing by default. But um, mm. I'm not in. I'm not going to be in the Spice Girls. Um, oh. which is obviously a great source of regret. But never mind. I have my own band. That's all right. Mm. Um, no. I would. I I very much enjoyed seeing them. They were last sort of spotted in public at the Olympic closing ceremony, I believe, in 2012, where they were on the top mm. of those buses. Do you remember? <laughs> they and do. They, they, uh, mm-hmm. One of them wobbled, and Victoria Beckham nearly fell off. I think maybe that was the end. Maybe that was the, the moment where she decided, you know, sod, sod this. I've got a fashion house. Thank you very much. And actually, I've said this before. I'm a bit of a defender of Victoria Beckham with this because mm. although yes, she set up her own fashion house with money that you know, and she wouldn't. Yeah, you know, she wasn't exactly. She wasn't exactly pattern cutting for five years. I do get that, but equally, equally, I was going to say she didn't go to fashion college and you know sweep up. You know, I do, I do, I do get that. But having said that, she's genuinely well respected in the fashion world. Her designs are, are, are good, and actually, my city lawyer friends that are on more money than me, some of them wear her dresses because they say, yeah, okay, they're designer, but they're a bit like Stella McCartney. That she does stuff you can actually wear if you are a woman that that goes out or, or goes to work more aptly so so you know i wish her well and i don't blame her for not wanting to do something which she never seemed to enjoy very much anyway let's face it so um so she was never very keen it would seem um i i it's weird this um mm. they there there are lots of 90s bands that have tried to reform and with varying degrees of success the success story has been take that Mm, by mm. a million miles they they very cleverly tested the water by doing a documentary in 2006 during which we apparently learnt the value of writing songs in your band so Gary Barlow lived in what was to all intents and purposes a stately home and uh, Howard Howard Donald <laughs> appeared to live on a beach at one point so so you know it just goes to show there is money in them there song hills but um but that was very telling because they tested the water to see if people were interested and it got a huge response and it wasn't very I don't think they were doing that to launch their reformation but i think they did it to test the water mm. um they have made an absolute packet frankly and and you know it would seem now after their various icebreaker related difficulties and there's only three of them now isn't there mm. so and I, yes. I you know gary barlow very much doing his own thing again and i get this sense that that might not happen again to take that thing but um but that they seem to be a huge demand for them and the, the glory thing about take that was the thing that that made them, you know, wheelbarrows full of money, you know, I say wheelbarrows, articulated wheelbarrows full of money, is the fact that I know so many people who were mothers and daughters that went to see Take That. The mother had grown up with Take mm. That. She was 25 years older, say, or 20 years older. And well, when they first started, 92, so she was like 20, you know, 20 odd years old, 24 years older. And she could take her girl who, who you know, and, and I know so many mums and daughters that went. And, and you know, you'll never, strictly come dancing shows when men win. You, you never go broke appealing to women, I don't think. And I don't mean that unpleasantly, but no, you know no. what I mean. And, mm. and they kind of showed how, but the reason why 
they continue to succeed was that their new material stood up to their old material their new material was really good because gary barlow like him or not and i'm I sometimes inclined to fall into the latter i'd like him more if he paid more tax mm. and spent less time telling me to donate to children in need um i uh, you know if he paid if, if if you know if people met their tax obligations perhaps we wouldn't need children in need but anyway on that slightly bitter note um i he's a fantastic songwriter mm. even if you don't like the songs I'm, t- you know, I totally admire his talent and the fact that he produces so many that he can produce. To- he's a bit like Elton John; they produce tons and tons mm. of songs, and most of it gets chucked on the floor, and then they come up with these amazing tunes. The comeback stuff was brilliant. The Spice Girls' oeuvre was was. You know, I, I think they get a bit of a bad rap. Anyone that's interested in looking at the Spice Girls from a slightly less critical perspective, but still an intellectual perspective, would be well advised to read Wannabe by David Sinclair, who used to be, I think, senior rock critic for The Times. And he wrote rather a sympathetic book about them, telling their story. And he was rather keen on them. And he thinks that he genuinely believes that their music will stand the test of time Mm. and that it will overtake ABBA. Part of the problem Mm. is that if they're not going to come out with new material that's good, then and they never wrote their own material they were always reliant on other songwriters particularly standard and row i don't even know if they're still operating now but standard and row were their main kind of in-house songwriters that were really good and um and if they haven't got much new material to produce and they only had two or three albums in the first place they only have three albums in the first place the first time round that's a limited base from which to be trying to pitch a career again isn't it yeah it is I don't think Biff Stannard would be working with them uh, today but you know, the, the, the parallels actually I think it's very interesting uh, um, sort of nail on the head time I think from me there about the parallels with, with Take That who as you say have reunited successfully and the key difference as you rightly say um, mm. is that Gary Barlow for all again I'm with you on that but he is a great mm. songwriter and singer oh, he's, he's, really he's world well class you yeah can't, you can't claim anything otherwise and of course that's the I think that's the the big point is that they therefore have this large archive of songs over decades whereas the Spice Girls and he and crucially can produce new ones that match up to them absolutely they only had had a, a rather brief moment in the sun to reflect upon and so I, I kind of suspect that the Spice Girls may join a list of unsuccessful in some cases disastrous Unions like the Sex Pistols a few years back, which was also largely about accruing money for their pension funds, which are, you know, some may say yeah. would be behind the Spice Girls thing. Happy Mondays have also tried catastrophic reunions with Sean. Well, absolutely. And, Sean Ryder and, mumbling well, lyrics right, from a yeah. teleprompter. I think part of the problem is as well, we've talked about this previously, I think, mm. if you haven't got the full original lineup, I have limited interest. And, mm. and actually, the interesting thing, and this book covers this as well about the Spice Girls, was they lost some of their appeal when Jerry left. Not because she was a particularly good singer, although she mm. was undoubtedly a star. Again, I'm not always that keen, but but she she had something about her. But part of the problem was is that they had the Spice Girls. They were never a they were never a band. They weren't this kind of slick, glossy sex appeal type band, which is rather, actually why I, I'm rather fond of them. Mm. My mum always said to me, "I can't stand them. They're always dressed like a rag." Back. And the thing that, that and I think Adele's spoken well about this before. The thing that girls particularly really liked about them, they didn't appeal to, they appealed to gay boys greatly. I've got loads of gay boy friends that are so into them that are like so that you know will all be when they release the tickets will literally all be hilariously sat in their offices on the phone and getting their secretaries on the phone to try and get tickets. I mean, it, which is I don't and I don't mean that at all derogatively. I think that's lovely, and 
and girls were really into them because they were because they felt they could aspire to them. I liked the girl power message. I thought it was better than than you know than anything else. I love the fact they had their own personalities and you had a favourite Spice Girl. My favourite is still obviously Mel C. It always will be. But mm-hmm. but everyone has all sporty. Everyone has a has a sort of favourite. But the problem was is that their big message because they were particularly aimed at younger children. They weren't a kids band, but they had a huge kid fan base because they were really fun and wannabe. It's a great song. It's and there's nothing to it at all. It's a great song, and I, I know this is an odd comparison. It's a great song in the same way that "Don't Know Why" by Nora Jones is a great song, which is it decides what it wants to do, which is not very much, but it but it is something, and it just does it, and then it wanders off, and it's and it's you know, "Wannabe" was written in ten minutes, and you could argue that that shows, but it's it's you know, it, it is their genuinely their you know their kind of calling card. I'm not sure they ever did anything that particularly matched it, but. The big, um, the big hook line in that was friendship never ends. That was their message: mm. girl power, girls together, friendship never ends until one of you leaves. And the funny thing <laughs> is, is that you know that and and that genuinely. And Nikki Chapman was quite involved in managing them, and she she former pop pop idol ju- judge as it was then. It's X Factor now, and she says some. She's always quite insightful, I think, and she says some interesting things. When she made a big deal of that, and basically saying, you know it stopped you know the whole point was they were a gang weren't they and then they weren't anymore and and so not having the full gang back although people go oh, what did victoria ever do the idea was there was five of them and, you know they were the spice girls they all had a letter each and so so <laughs> part of the problem is that they haven't they haven't done that and also uh, to go into more detail another comparison between them and take that both mercury prize nominated mm. gosh of course Everything yes yes changes yes. in mm. 90- I think, and uh, one and um, the first one, Spice, was nominated mm-hmm. in the same year. I can't believe that the same list included uh, OK Computer by Radiohead <laughs> and uh, New Forms by Ronnie Size, which eventually won. I'd, that is, and Return of the Map by Mark Morrison. Those are my top three. I can't believe this was nominated, but or rather, how odd that this was nominated. Mm-hmm. But um, Alex Petridis did a really good piece for the Guardian. They start. They've started doing these songs ranked from worst to best. Oh yes. Or set well, they did with Madonna. They did and how telling that with Madonna they did singles ranked mm. from worst to best. And with Abba they did singles or songs ranked ranked from worst to best. And they uh, and they got to. Um, I think they they were in the 70s in terms of how many numbers they were. So Alex Petridis did all of the Spice Girls songs ranked from worst to best, and this included B-sides mm. and kind of a couple of promo things, and they'd only done 43 songs. Gosh. That is a thin back catalogue. Well, that and is when, thin. And, and I didn't get the impression he was anti particularly. I mean, I think he's quite fair as music critics mm. go. And, you know, he... he he treated them fairly, I think. But when you start off at the worst of those things, you read kind of it's, it is, does come across as a bit negative, although there isn't very much of this. It took a long... It, we got really far up that list before he started saying things that were unequivocally positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, 13, 12, before it started becoming really kind of kind of good. And I'm, I'm just not convinced they've got the back catalogue to be anything other than a moment in time, really. I think it's mm-hmm. it's... And it just looks, you know, like I say, the fact that it's not the, quite the full set, it was a late... I'm quite surprised that Manly C did it, actually. I mean, they, it, it was rumoured to only be the other three at one point, and I, I you know, they must have been offered... I don't mean this as an attack on Mel C, but they, they, they must be financially worthwhile because she's been quite vocal. Two million about, each is the, uh, well, the rumour. She's, she's been quite vocal about... Um, I saw, I think, a telling... I can't remember if, she, it was, if I saw it written down, if I saw her speaking on something. Mm. She always comes across as quite articulate. She lived quite near my friend, I think, at one point, because she lived in Belsize Park. Mm. 
and my friend was living in Chalk Farm at the time. So she used to see her and Kate Moss, and those are the only people she ever saw in the corner <laughs> shop at the time, apparently. But um, but she, I remember her saying once, I've made, and I admire her straight talking, I've made a lot of money from the Spice Girls. I've also spent quite a lot of money recovering from the Spice Girls. So I get the impression, and also she really did her knee in ages ago, competing on the games on Channel 4, that kind of celebrity Olympics. And she's got kids, and... She's, she's had a reasonably successful solo career and I, you know, I, I don't really see what's in it for her really apart from apart from money and I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean, Mel B's had well-documented financial troubles and, you know, salubrious stories in the tabloids about this horrible, various horrible divorces she seems to have gone through. So you can kind of understand why her and Jerry Halliwell might might be interested again and equally with Emma Bunton. But I don't know, it, I, I can't... I can't see this being, uh, even if it is a success, that success is going to be brief, I think, because like you say, they're not running with much in the tank. No, I think too, the Spice ship has long sailed out of port. It'll be interesting to see if these gigs sell. They were were very important at the time, and Mm. it will be actually interesting to see, this might be a measure of how important they were, um, just because I think that they did have an impact on a lot of young girls. So it'll be very interesting, and and sort of, like I say, gay kids that didn't feel like they fitted Mm. in, they were really good that sort of thing so let's i don't know it would be nice if it was a success story because i know a lot of people to whom they mean a lot so so you know let's let's see what happens but for, for but, sure but it might be hammersmith odeon size gigs they, yes. they've booked wembley stadium now you know right, maybe there's that, a, a nostalgia market <laughs> but yeah eighty thousand plus tickets at wembley i don't think so that's 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 ambitious isn't it but let's see who Ooh. knows you know that's um, my by the way if you if you want to see any uh, particularly enjoyable spice scores fan experience um james i'm not a big fan of james Corbin, but his carpool karaoke with adele is excellent because they do a bit where they do sing along with the with yeah. wannabe and uh and uh, they both do melby's rap and it's very entertaining so it's worth it's worth watching for that i think let's celebrate the bloke who swam his way round great britain no let's not <laughs> <laughs> that's next after sly and robbie The week's paid. He thinks he's got class. They think he's an ass. Behind his back, they got the last laugh. Staring in your eyes, there's only two things I can find. You have one desire, and that's the dance until you drop. This 
I'd never heard it before. I heard it on Six Music when I was driving around, and I, I just, lo- I just instantly fell for it. I just thought it was. I just really enjoyed it. I thought it had a really nice vibe to it. Um, I know of Sly and Robbie, as Martin Prince from The Simpsons would say. I'm aware of their work, but um, but I, I, I just, I really liked this. It's from the Rhythm Killers album that was released in uh, 1987, and it's called Boots Brackets. Um. Well, there seems to be a disagreement as to whether it's called Here to Go or Here We Go, but I think the version I've got is Here to Go. It's, and it's... apparently Robbie Williams sampled it um, in mm. later years as well. I am, I am, a, I'm included, which is quite ironic given that their their um, their bass player is called um, is called Robbie uh, Robbie Shakespeare. Mm. Uh, slide dump Presumably by Robbie Shakespeare. No relation, yeah. Absolutely fantastic! One of the great innovative albums of the 1980s. I. Unlike some, I love crossover music. I love it when uh, sometimes it's terribly unsuccessful, like we talked about uh, classical music and rock combining a couple of weeks yeah, ago. And yeah. Sometimes that's you know hideous, but sometimes when um, things work, it, it just really strikes a chord. And I love this album, and um, that's a, that's just a great track. Just yeah, great and, track. and also an interesting fact: things I never knew about them. And again, mm. I often have to make slightly embarrassing admissions on this podcast. Um, my excuse this time is that I was very young. I was only about 12 or 13. I was very taken with Suggs' debut album, The Lone Ranger, in mm. 1996. I don't have it anymore, but I used to have it on CD. I listened to it all the time. I loved his version of Cecilia. I used to, I, I just thought it was brilliant. I might try and listen to it again and see if I really, if, if it was the, the impudence of youth or whether it genuinely <laughs> is good. But apparently I didn't know that they, they produced some tracks for that. Mm. 
Uh, that wouldn't surprise me because if you look at their discography, they they probably it goes into the hundreds of albums that they've played yeah. on. There's, well, they still tour relentlessly. Absolutely. I think. So, uh, so no, I wish them. I'm a big fan of that. Wish them well. Much has been made this week of a very smiley fellow, a very, very smiley. Extremely cheery, yes. Yes, 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 broad grin, called Ross Edgley. He's 33, and this week he became the first person to swim 1,780 miles around the coast of Great Britain. Now, this story was covered by all the UK media who celebrated this apparent achievement. Now, good luck to the young fellow, my lad, but... Why? He didn't seem to be doing it for charity, as far as I could make out. And bear in mind, the BBC reported that during this marathon swim, which took five and a bit months, he experienced shoulder pain, and this next bit, wetsuit chafing, which I prefer to know less about. Let's not not think about that. Not a pretty picture. But wait for this. The BBC reports that his... his tongue has partially disintegrated from salt water exposure. Yeah, salt tongue. Yes, I saw him talking about this on the one show when I was trying to eat. Now, if this chap, Ross Edgley, was so keen to see the sights of the British coastline, I could have (laughs) recommended he simply sat on his sofa, tongue intact, and watched the excellent BBC series of the programme Coast. 75 episodes. Big fan of Coast, yes. Big big fan myself. 75 episodes, plenty to keep him occupied, host of top presenters and experts, and the good news for Mr Edgley would be that it seems to be always on one channel or other on cable TV. Yes, it's true. I'll tell you who else is a big fan of Coast. Mm. Um, the producers of Snooker and Darts for the BBC, <laughs> who whenever it, clo- it, it finishes slightly early. Mm. Po- and my dad reckons that it was probably filmed with this in mind. Coast is, is a, the thing that, that, that you notice about watching Coast is that it's in segments. So it's a yeah, bit it like is. Country File in that it had several presenters. Nick Crane, who is much loved as Map Man in my parents' household. Is he the um, bloke the, with the umbrella sticking out of his back? Yes, I think yeah. so. That, that, that's Specky, and he always, yeah, and he always sort it. of... I, they were, they're, they're very big fans of Gore-Tex, other, mm. other you know, the outside mm. pursuits or clothing are available. And, of course, Dr. Alice Roberts, who mm. um, who who did a, a programme called something like Don't Die Young with Alice Roberts, and my friend, who's rather in love with her, mm. wants to make his own programme called I Would Die Young with yeah. Alice Bless him, and uh, and it's and and the Scottish man who's charismatic who's, uh, Neil Oliver. Yes, indeed, who is so whimsically Scottish that mm. I did I did once say to my Scottish friend the other day, "Is anybody really that Scottish?" And she went, here, "No," she said, "Oh no, he's not really that Scottish." So um, so I don't know. We'll see. But um, it's so it's made in chunks. So basically, it's designed mm. for the fact that you can just you know take out a 10 minute chunk and just bung it in if Stephen Hendry's whacked a few more in, or you know insert more modern snooker player here. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so that's so they're big fans also. I but don't, yeah, so, I don't know sorry. if it's unique to the British uh, mentality, but I find it really bizarre that as a people we tend to go crazy with resentment if any of our underwhelming governments say they are going to they're going to raise taxes to pay mm. for basic needs such as healthcare. Yet the next day, the same people will donate possibly even more than they would have been mm. taxed. You mentioned it earlier to children in need or or. After some heartbreaking story shown on the news, people will send money to a cause they'd never considered before. It's an interesting question of human psychology. While we'll laud someone who's cycled from Land's End to John O'Groats to raise money for a children's hospital, but we don't want to pay more tax instead. Why can't people with pots of money just pay a bit more in taxes? I think people get a bit of a buzz out of baking cakes for charity. It makes them feel good (laughs) about themselves. But in so many of these climbing 
Everest backwards carrying an ironing board or crossing the Atlantic in a bathtub, I'm still left, Jules, I'm still left scratching my head and asking, why? Well, I know it's strange, isn't it? I mean, I'm no stranger to a charity bake sale as both a consumer and a producer. (laughs) Um, And I have done occasionally done the odd 5K and I can always raise money on those on the basis that... I am so not a, t- a 5K, 10K person <laughs> that people just donate out of kind of WTF-ness usually that I'm actually doing. And to be fair, you have been a generous donor to me in the past, Terence. So uh-huh. so I, I think you're slightly playing up your grumpiness about this for the podcast. <laughs> and why shouldn't you? But um, but uh, I think it was more an act of friendship than, you know, we all do things for our friends that we of wouldn't course. otherwise like to do. But um, no, I, it's strange, isn't it? What is it? And and again, going back to children, I'm sorry to rag on Children in Needle podcast. Mm. I don't, I think that it does a lot of good and I'm, I'm not criticizing it for one moment and I, I think it's great that people kids particularly want to get involved in doing it and I think it's it is in one way touching that it shows the generosity of human nature because they make pots of money but equally like you say it it does I mean the, the thing that I find most offensive about it is the um Chris Evans's crazy, crazy auctions that mm. he does on his breakfast show that only rich people been, can well take exactly part. and 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 they, they're always I don't know if they produce, I think they used to reveal the prices and I don't mm. think they do now but mm. um but they're things like form- they're, they're basically things like formula 1 packages going to monaco for the mm. formula 1 gp or you know they're kind of or, or or going racing ferraris or they're kind of you know they're boys toys type things and they're kind of they're sort of very rich rich people's pursuits type things and i do find that maddening that people will not give money unless they get it i find that more maddening that people will not give money people won't pay their we don't know if that we don't know at all but i wonder how many of those people do meet their full tax obligations mm. and even if they do can you not just give a hundred grand to the to the trussell trust food banks rather than having you know to drive cars around like an overgrown child i mean i find it i find it really frustrating that people People won't donate money unless there's a shiny thing or I'm less of I'm more offended by that than I am by people doing sponsored swims part sponsored runs and stuff like that because in a way you know at least they are making I, I feel it as making an effort really and I and I know that it's a slightly odd thing to do and there is a little bit of attention seeking about it maybe and I speak as someone that has sought attention by wheezing my way my way round various by round Leeds Castle and Kent <laughs> to try and make money for the local air ambulance but you know, I speaking to someone that does pay tax and does regularly donate to things like the Disasters Emergency Committee and stuff like that. But I, I find that certainly less offensive. I'm more willing to think, oh, well, fair play. At least people are getting up and being active and trying to do something. The funniest thing about that, that very nice man that's done this swim. He, <laughs> I saw him on the on the one show where my parents. I I don't know if I only ever go to my to the one show when uh, to my parents' house when the one show is on. <laughs> if they only ever watch the one show, if it only exists in my parents' house, if it's like Bagpuss and it only comes on every time i walk in i'm not sure but he was uh, i was eating and, and my mum said he seemed very nice and my dad said he's very cheery and i said within about three minutes of hearing him talk he'll be a tv presenter won't he they'll get him on country mm. and things like that because he and i don't mean this as a criticism at all but he presented i could see him doing older kids tv or spring watch or something like that and my dad laughed and said god that's a hell of a effort to go to just to become a tv presenter isn't it i'm not sure i'd do that if i'd swim around from britain he said i'd just send a demo tape in and i said well yeah exactly so would i so maybe he's done it to increase but i don't know i, I think he's genuine i think he's a genuine bloke but yeah it is it is slightly strange that as that human nature even when it's trying to be philanthropic 
you know, philanthropic or however it is you pronounce mm. it, when it's trying to be, you know, sort of giving, that we still somehow need, if even if it's not a shiny thing, like a, a Formula One trip to Monaco, or even if it's not a cake, although, you know, mm. don't get me wrong, I will get, you know, if you give me a Rice Krispie cake, you know, take all of my money, frankly, I love those things, but, um, or cornflake cakes particularly, they are the ultimate bake sale food, I feel, but um, we still, whatever it is, or even if it's just the feeling good for sponsors for knowing that one of your mates is about to do the London Marathon, we we always seem to need some, or so many people seem to need some kind of quote unquote incentive to donate, don't they? Yes, but you see, this, I, I am against children in need, it infuriates me, because because it tends to be, I'm fairly sure, I've got no statistical evidence this, but I'm fairly sure it's ordinary people, working people, if you like, sitting at home, having a, you know, a takeaway pizza on a Friday night that cough up their 5, 10, 20 pounds. Whereas if, and I, I've, yes. if the governments yeah. really wanted to do this, they could, ensure that giant mega companies and hugely rich people paid a fair yeah. whack then we wouldn't need children in need and for ordinary no. people to pay probably what they can't really afford and could be just sustaining their own sort of ordinary lifestyles if these people with more money than they know what to do with paid proper taxes then none of those things would be necessary and the mr edgley and people wouldn't need to swim round the coast although he didn't seem to do it for money but you know it's the same as the baking cake thing and everything fine bake cakes for your friends but then you know people feel a duty an obligation then to give five pounds to a charity they may not be able to afford to they wouldn't have to if we pursued these huge companies and billionaires who should just pay a decent amount to sustain um, our, our basic needs as a society Yes, I completely, I completely agree. And uh, bravo, clap, 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 <laughs> Terence. Yes, I completely agree. Although at the same time, shout out to all of the kids and teachers that do bake sales and, you know, people that stand in their pyjamas outside Tesco. I can still remember thinking perhaps we've reached peak children in need where um, I remember driving to work when I still worked in Kent on what was quite a dreary Friday morning. And it was quite drizzly. And I saw a, a, a pretty blank-eyed looking girl busily involved in texting on a smartphone at a bus stop dressed entirely in a pudsy onesie and it was starting to really rain and I just saw this this girl of about 18 or 19 in this slightly obviously waiting to go to work I think in this slightly drooping but we had ears and everything and it was like an all over onesie and just texting and I thought wow I mean she's trying isn't she but but you know it, it, it did seem a little bit yeah, I, I, I always, I buy the cake. I won't wear the ears. Is always my view on on children. But I mean, but like you say, but that's one of the reasons why it's so maddening because it takes advantage. Hmm. In a way, the the whole idea of it takes advantage of people's good nature. You know, by saying things like, "Oh yeah, okay, then we'll," because we'll probably do baking for it at work, and I'll make some cakes probably, which will be semi edible, and and <laughs> you know, and we'll all we'll all do something. That, you know, my colleague, my amazing colleague, Di will make amazing cake, and we'll all pay a pound for a slice which is really you know if you think about it the world's biggest rip although having said that Dow's plum, Dow's plum cake is one of is the ninth wonder of the world but it's you know like you say it's frustrating that you know that there's all this energy that goes into it from quite a lot of people you know across the country they seem to have endless montages of people skipping for 24 hours and the mm. ubiquitous people in, in tubs of baked beans I always am a fan of Sarah, Sarah Cox did a 24 hour dance marathon once on Radio 2 which was incredible because you got different people into dancing there every half an hour and they used to interview them whilst they were dancing so that was you know you have various puffed out sounding <laughs> actors of the day so 
you know you think well fair enough for those kind of people but yeah like you say it's so frustrating that they that they end up you know that we end up mm. exploiting people's good nature in that way when in fact there is another way to do this but governments don't seem brave enough to want to do it a list of the 100 websites that shaped the internet has been published we're looking at a couple of our favorite websites from the early days of the internet but first we're just going to eat a couple of rice crispy cakes while we listen to <laughs> broken bells
The perfect soundtrack to listen to in your tub of baked beans, Terence. I'm sure you'd agree. <laughs> Very much so. Yes. Um, yeah. A, a tub of baked beans doesn't really appeal, especially if they were cold. I that think would... they usually are. That's oh no! Very squishy as well. No, I no. Think, I mean that, but that's why it's seen as a kind mm. of an endurance test, isn't it? Really. They've only released a couple of albums in the mm. ten years or so they've been together. Both albums have been chart successes, both here in the UK and in America. That was their very first single taken from their first album. It's Broken Bells and The High Road. I love them. And I first came across them on an excellent, I think it was a Mojo cover mount CD called um, Dream Pop. Mm. And it's, I would have, I think I came across it, but sort of two, data from about 2010, I think, which is roughly when their first album came out. And that had Half Asleep on it. And I just, I just fell in. And I also had a Cocteau Twins track on it as well. It was very much that kind of thing. And I just thought it was brilliant. I, and, you know, I love Broken Bells. They're one of those bands who, they're, they're quite ethereal, aren't they? So they don't have a huge back catalogue. They just seem to drift in, do some stuff, drift off for a few years, and then drift back again, really, which is a shame, because I'd love to hear more from them. There's a lovely clip on YouTube. Um, they they appeared on Letterman just before he gave up, David Letterman just before he gave mm. up. And uh, it was Beatles week, I think, on Letterman, and the Broken Bells are doing a cover of, I think it was And I Love Her, with Ringo um, playing along on a, on a screen. Mm. It was really, really lovely, so that's worth checking out as well. When I saw that Gizmodo had published uh, this week a list of the 100 websites that have shaped the internet, initially I thought it a bit curious that we're already getting nostalgic about websites. I know. Who remembers Virtual <laughs> Spangles? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? But, but then I realised it's about 20 years since the, the majority of us bought computers that could give us access to this exciting new thing they call the internet. And now it does feel like it was all a long time ago. In, in fact, it's hard to consider there was a time when you couldn't just access any information in the world any time you wanted. My main motivation in buying an internet-enabled computer back in 1999 was to be able to listen to American radio, which was perhaps a bit niche, but I soon discovered that, uh, as well as all of this, this was before Google, you could look up info by using this site called Ask Jeeves. Mm. And this would reveal limited, but at the time, sensational answers to your query. Then I discovered Blogger and maintained a, a rather detailed online diary for maybe four, five, six years. And I made some friendships by doing that that is still going strong today. So, you know, th- th- that, was, that was really innovative and exciting to me. But my favourite thing on those early internet years was turning on my PC and there was my very own home page. It was my Yahoo. And, mm. and I, I loved it. I wish I still had it now. Um, all of my email, the latest news, sports updates, and the daily Doomsbury cartoon, all on this like orange-hued first page. Mm. It, it felt genuinely exciting uh, and thrilling. Um, what websites do you remember first giving your love to, Jules? Oh well, I was the the greatest search engine that never that doesn't exist anymore. I was a huge Alta Vista fan. Alta Vista, I thought, yes. I thought it was magic. I mm. just you know the idea that and also Google as well. I know that mm. it kind of got overtaken by Google, mm. but the my it was my first search engine. Um, I, I I just loved it. I I thought it was the most amazing thing. Yes. And and I I just it was incredible. And, and actually, so I I constantly we I, I never constantly reference 
my age to make people feel depressed on this podcast. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's relevant here. So I was fifth, my fifteenth birthday was in September nineteen ninety nine. So I remember we had dial up as a teenager. I it was in the nascent days of dial up, and I can still remember buying Select magazine when I was at sixth form college in about two thousand, I think, or two thousand and one. And such few were the websites then that they had a, a you got a pullout with the magazine that had mm. oh here are some websites about music, and there weren't very many. <laughs> you know, no, were, no, you're were, right. There yeah. weren't there, there weren't that many, and so Alta Vista, I just thought was this curious kind of magic. But lots of my first sites on the internet were very kind of um they were very homemade they were they were and they were very kind of they were sort of enjoyably specialist really so there was my my all-time favorite fan website is kaniki fried chicken it's still available (laughs) i i do you remember geocities oh i do a lot of geocities websites that i went to some which my friends made their own geocities websites they were all um they were all usually black. There were purple text on a black background, usually, or something like that. And Kaniki Fried Chicken was extremely funny. It used to share interviews with Kaniki. It was brilliantly homemade. I think it still exists. I used to go on an Elastica forum called Project Elasticated and made some good friends through that. Mm. Um, I used to, yeah, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I used to obsessively go on an internet guide about that. And actually, one of the most innovative bands with the internet, I think, who, have, who really have found their own way... Radiohead have always been very good at the internet and they mm. had a waste website that sort of sold their stuff online. Ed O'Brien used to write this really oddly revealing diary on their website about how the recording for Kid A was going. A spoiler alert, most of the time not very well and he was quite open about that I think and I can still remember him saying about Cutooth we have spent 368 days recording a song that is now a b-side I mean it was it was that that was hugely innovative the idea that you could you could sort of watch it happening in real time um they'd done a lot of basement sessions on the internet they famously kind of rewrote the rules by doing pay what you want for in rainbows in 2008 they've always been really good at the internet mm. so huge huge fan of that um obviously the online um, wikipedia type websites were always extremely useful for me when i was doing schoolwork but um i you know I, my i do get sort of starry-eyed at thinking of those websites that i used to i used to go on all the time and of course the big i'm of the generation where our big social media platform was myspace that was oh, the yes, thing yes, that we yeah. went to. we all had a myspace at, at sixth form and you know I saw some of the early Lily Allen stuff on MySpace. Mm. You know, she was and admittedly that's not quite true in that she was signed when she was on MySpace. Mm. So she didn't quite. The Arctic Monkeys were more of a MySpace success story, I think, in that they genuinely were. They genuinely did use it to get them to Providence. They sold their CDs through it. So, so you know, I used mm. to, I used to really love. Um, I used to really love stuff like MySpace and talking to random strangers on the internet through MySpace. And it was just, it was just a, you know, it was, it was sort of hilariously home-baked compared to you know superior social media now it wasn't the age of the smartphone you literally had to dial up get someone else in the house to get off the phone and then dial up onto the internet (laughs) you know those words you're of a certain age if you're of those if you know those words can you get off the phone i'm trying to get on the internet so i used to love those funny and, and most official band websites were quite weirdly homemade as well 
Do you know, it's, it's funny, um, you just reminded me there talking about sort of the early days of the internet and music. I remember uh, I hadn't had the computer long and um, I w- was looking up XTC, talking, you know, we played them earlier, XTC lyrics, because suddenly, you know, you could find out the lyrics to songs. And I found this website that had reproduced like lyrics to loads of XTC songs. So what mm. I did was I very studiously printed them all out about 150 pages, um, vast expensive ink conscious, because the reason being that I thought, well, you know, it, they might go away again. And, I, you know, the, the, the XTC lyrics will never appear on the Internet again. Exactly. What, so I've got to keep paper yeah. versions. So I was like printing out the <laughs> Internet. I, I, still, I still have A4 binders full of the other thing mm. that made a huge difference to me as a teenager. And looking back at it now, it's so funny that my, my Internet experience was so specific to what I like to do. I've got A4 binders, as I said in America, I've got literally binders full, but not of women, but binders full of um, guitar tabs. <laughs> guitar tab yeah. sites. The idea that you didn't have to pay 18 quid <laughs> mm. for one for one album ordered into my local shop on 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 you know on on guitar tablature. I got the OK computer tab, but I was really obsessed with Radiohead for my for my birthday. And then I thought, oh well, I quite like the Benz one, but that's quite dear. Oh look, they're all on this site. Mm. And uh, and mm. and you know and, and and the fact that me and my friends we could print out a song and learn how to play the song on the guitar without having to buy sheet music. That was an amazing thing i think then, it really was and there were the music sharing sites like napster yes. and audio galaxy which that led us to the legal world of spotify that we mm. know today indeed i i also love the fact i couldn't get over it that i could I, I this this was just astonishing me that i could read the new york times without having to go to london and pick up a one day old copy which mm. sometimes they do with because of my obsession with america but the other area of the internet the commerce side if you like that really seemed like a dream in 1999 was the ability to order and pay for stuff over the computer and then it would arrive the next day i still crazy. remember the it is crazy genuine sense of wonder i felt at looking through amazon and i thought well i'll trial this mm. um there's there's nothing to lose i ordered a book i can still even remember it was about buddhism and the thrill of seeing the cardboard packaging as i opened the post box the next day it felt like a new world and it was I mean, that is hilariously ironic that your your first possession purchased through the internet was a book about Buddhism. That is, that is brilliantly self-defeating. Well done. Mm. My, well, for me, one of the big websites, and it's relatively mm. recent, I think, this, this, but um, in terms of kind of genuinely sort of life-changing sort of serious websites, mm. um, I think anybody like me who is obsessed with record collecting, yes, I know that you're, you're, you're you know, you still continue to be heroically snotty about mm. this, but, <laughs> but anybody like me who really likes collecting records um it, it launched in 2000 but it's but i've become more into it over the last years when i started collecting records more more seriously a site called discogs oh yes so yes. so i mean i found ebay to be uh, like you to be amazing when i mm. first came across it the fact that i could be at university and i could order old select magazines or i could buy old nme tapes or i could you know i could find mm. almost anything i wanted or records i'd be used to but i was buying records when no one else was in like the mid 2000 mm-hmm. the idea that you could find that stuff on there you could find whatever you wanted i only ever used to let myself go on ebay for one month of a year because i knew <laughs> that i couldn't my friend said this is a bad idea i knew i couldn't that i said on it all the time discogs is like a much more specialist version of of ebay 
for buying music but the thing that makes discog so good is that and, and my friends that run a record shop do all their pricing of their secondhand stuff mm. by discogs because it has become the encyclopedia for record collecting it's it's kind of almost overtaken record collector really and it stopped me from being ripped off mm. so many times going to boot sales and things and unscrupulous dealers which you often meet at boot sales and you know but it does make me laugh now that that you see new dealers that think they can make a packet of these things you see them sort of stood there you know arms crossed behind all their boxes of records and you see people go up and start looking through the records and they start to peel off and they get their phones out <laughs> and see the dealers faces fall as they realize no we're all going on the internet to check that you're not charging me 25 pounds for pj harvey bootleg was worth 12 for example so so discogs has been genuinely life enhancing for me in that respect um and also when you want to sell stuff that's good and ebay you know also also very useful for that sort of thing i also it's also made my job a million times easier oh i don't have to we don't have to go to precedent libraries anymore you just get precedents online you don't have to have all of the books piled up and actually it first came in it made my university research quite a lot easier as well case law you don't have to you know you just get cases online you download them so so actually it's made and also the land registry i spend most of my waking day on the land registry website we can register stuff online you know so it has Mm. so so you know there are many things it has been life, life enhancing but also this this top 100 sites I think that I can has cheeseburger was robbed at only coming in at number ninety nine. That website we often I often go to use the toilet at my workplace to find that someone else has printed up another Lowell Cats with a toilet paper wrapped around it and stuck it in the in the cubicle. I, I, I love things like that. I can also uh, pimpmysnack.com. I used to be very into that. They used to do things like try and wait the wait the world's largest war bomb biscuit. There is a I also <laughs> a fan of um, in Otter News on Facebook, which is completely uh, photographs of officers with puns on them. You know, I, I know that you can infinitely waste time also terence i think you'll feel the same way like hmm. i remember reading an interview with corinne bailey ray hmm. years ago now where she was like youtube the whole world's on there yeah and i think we yeah. mentioned it previously the idea that, that you know you can literally start at home thinking you know hmm. i mean i remember trying to explain to my friend tim once that there was once an episode of albing and the chipmunks which was centered around the berlin wall and they sang a song about wouldn't it be great if the berlin wall fell down and tim's like you've dreamt this or you've had some bad cheese or something mm. it's clearly never happened and and it was on there and I could still sing the song from memory. And, and, and he, you know, we just couldn't believe that it was on there and how odd it was. And it came out a full year before the Berlin Wall fell down. So we were like, maybe the reason the Berlin Wall fell down was this <laughs> album in the Chipmunk Funded propaganda. Who knew? I mean, the stuff that you can find on YouTube is immense. Now, when you're not eating cakes for children in need... <laughs> yes, indeed. Selflessly eating cakes for children in need. Where can we find you this week? Well, it much depends on when you pick up this podcast, really. But today we're recording this on this sacred day. It's Friday, the year, <laughs> year of our Lord, 2018, Friday the 9th of November. Hmm. Tomorrow is Saturday the 10th of November, which is Ooh. logical if nothing else. And I'm going to be at Indie Rock and Awe 2 in Hitchin. Um, so it's Rebel Rebel is the name of the festival. Um, I'm playing in my band, Go Bodicea, um, where we'll be promoting our new album, Mrs. Punch is Not For Sale. And um, it is for sale. Um, that We didn't think that through. And, uh, and I'll be DJing a bit <laughs> as well. And so that's in Hitchin. I believe there are tickets still available that you can kind of uh, you can t- you can sort of turn up on the day. Starts at two. It's at Club Eighty Five in Hitchin. Um, I I think that there are various bands playing. Um, tickets are twenty pound on the door. Tens and unders are allowed free entry with an adult. 
um, and it's um, you can go in and out, and it's to rem- it's to raise money for Rennie Grove, which is um, it provides care and support for adults and children diagnosed with cancer and other life-limiting illness, and their families living in Bucks and Hearts, and it's got a 24-hour um, uh, hospice at home service for adults, and it's got a children's office as well, um, and they need to raise 18 grand a day, basically. Good lord. So, so yeah, really pleased to be doing this. Um, the early 90s, new wave of new wave people smash are playing, as well as the Poppin' Jays, the Loves, the Would Be Goods, um, the Catenary Wires, the Metatrons, a band called Scare Taxi, who I've never heard of, but that's a great name. Um, maybe they're, they're in any way related to Mambo Taxi. They share the same surname. <laughs> and uh, my own my own crew, Go Bodicea. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. That's going to be brilliant. So if you are in the area, do please pop down. If not, next Wednesday I'll be available doing Indie Wonderland on Barraco Radio, 8 to 10pm, music of indie, alt rock and miscellaneous nature and me burbling on. Thanks to you for uh, listening. Again, thank you for encouraging this, even though you probably shouldn't yeah. be. Not not you over there, though. You're, you're, you're fake news. Uh, yes, indeed, yes. Don't ask such a stupid question. Yes, and thanks to executive producers Rona and Hilly. Yeah, team team PC, yeah, team mm. parish council. Thanks, guys. Now, to take us out, Jules, had I been given a million guesses, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed you would pick this band, but they are wonderful. Um, I remember the huge impact they had back in 1971-72 when they first appeared on the Old Grey Whistle Test, and it was quite amazing at the time. Uh, they were like nothing we'd seen or heard before. Yeah, indeed. I'm so I I went through a phase of just buying random records when I was when I was you know unhappy as a trainee solicitor, and for some reason I thought it would be a good idea to buy um, a focus album like a live type album, and it had a, unfortunately the front bits fallen off, but it had like a sort of gatefold cutout type thing, and. I just thought they I probably heard them around my friend's house. Her husband really likes bizarre prog like Dream Theatre and things like that and he rather liked them and I just thought they were great and I'm going to see this band. I'm going to I can't believe it. It's words that, that Terence never thought he'd hear me say. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to see I'm going to see Focus in Lewis next year in January at the Con Club. Partly because my friends the hair and hoof are supporting, so I'm looking forward to seeing them as well. He really are a, 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 I can't believe that you'd ever say they're the perfect band to support Focus. Why would you ever say that about anyone? But actually <laughs> it makes perfect sense. And nothing else sounds like Focus and I and some people may see that as a as a good thing in the sense they don't want <laughs> more of this sort of thing and other people see that as a unique thing and I, I you know I just think this is great fun and also I, I, it's always good when you say about so aside from the yodeling wait what um, aside, aside from the fact that there's just throwing just tossing that lightly into conversation aside from the fact that there is yodeling all over the top of this they're quite a good rock band yeah. I think they're quite a good prop rock band there's a real you don't and again you would say this you don't expect the yodeling if you're not, if you're not and so I'm sorry to have, to have spotted spoiler alert there's yodeling on this but um, but no this is fab I love this um, yeah, and I, as I often say about detractors of status quo anyone that doesn't like status quo I feel is slightly dead inside or takes himself too seriously and I do feel the same way about people that, that deny the genius that is focused so this is the ultimate focus track this is Hocus Pocus by Focus
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.